Welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm your host, as always, Jason Van Tatenhove. Man, I say this so often. What a crazy week. We have had the historic, historic decision coming out of the uh, Supreme Court of the United States of America that is um, basically uh, going back 50 years when it comes to women's health rights and uh, a woman's right to get an abortion. It now resides in the hands of each individual state. We are looking at about half those states where it's it's fairly instantaneously becoming illegal. So um, I think one of the reasons, so they, they actually pushed back my hearing um, I was going to be testifying before the uh, January 6th Congressional Select Committee, um, <clears throat> Special Committee, to, uh, yeah, it was supposed to be, I, I was going to be out there already this weekend, but now they've pushed it. looks like it'll be a week or two and um, still doing it. Just uh, apparently working with the Congress, you got to be flexible because uh, they, they've got a lot going on. But I, I think part of it was due to the fact that they were thinking that there might be some uh, craziness happening in D.C. with the the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And that's probably correct. Um, So we're going to talk about that decision. I'm going to have my oldest, not not my oldest, my oldest in the house, Lux, my my middle daughter, my teenager, my... uh, uh, older teenager, because all I've got is like teenagers anymore. Um, she uh, she actually gave a speech at one of the women's rights marches um, that kind of kicked off. They used the uh, the women's monument, the suffrage monument here in Estes Park that just was dedicated. It's it's um, along the Riverwalk, kind of over where Dairy Queen is here in Estes Park. We are coming to you if you're a new listener out of Estes Park, Colorado, and. Um, Man, today it is a a cold and gray day, but I'm okay with the cold again. You know, it was getting hot there for a while. I had to put the air conditioning unit back in my my window. And, uh, you know, I'd much rather just have a cool day every now and then. Um, What else are we going to talk about? So this week we had the, this weekend specifically, we had SS Park's first, really quite a historical event. The first ever official pride celebration that a friend of mine, Jen Bass, um, has organized and she did a great job of it. So, uh, I went and caught, got a a statement from the mayor, Wendy Koenig, um, uh, Lars, who's the director of, uh, the, um, the art center of Estes Park gave a great speech. I got that. So we're going to be listening to some speeches, um, that were given during the pride celebration, um, and, uh, I'm also going to, uh, go over this story. So we, we, we suffered another fairly momentous loss this week as a community. Uh, one of the pillars of our community, assistant fire chief, um, was shot and killed in front of his children and wife. Um, not in the line of duty, but coming back from a camping trip, a family camping trip. 
And this was uh, on I-70 just, just past our road in um, Aurora, Colorado, right outside the airport. I was just driving there just the other week, coming back from uh, Milwaukee for that speech, speaking engagement. And uh, how many of us drive that stretch on a regular basis? And from my understanding, there was a, a street race going on and they uh, we'll go into the story in that segment, but that's uh, one of the stories we'll be hitting on today's podcast. So we're going to go over the Pride event. That's going to include, um, we also had, I think it might have been our first punk rock show in Estes. I don't know. That's hard to believe. Maybe maybe there have been other punk rock shows that I'm just not aware of. But first one that I've seen in town, and it went for a good cause. It was um, part of the Pride celebration. But the funds from the punk rock show, which happened at the uh, bowling alley, Chipper's Lanes, which if you haven't been there, like it's totally retro 80s. Um, they've got arcade games, you know, it's black light. And, um, I like it because, you know, it's close enough. I can walk there and walk back so I can have a couple drinks, um, you know, shuffle anyway with my cane. And, uh, so, uh, that was, that was a great little show. I got a, I got a, um, uh, interview with the uh, band and it just brought me back to the days of growing up kind of in the punk rock scene of Fort Collins. Uh, we used to have little shows like this all the time at the old Granges and, <clears throat> you know, wherever we could. So uh, just, it was so good to see that young energy coming together. And I think a bunch of, we're going to be talking with the organizers because the, the funds raised are all going to, uh, to, to the skate park and the renovation, the rebuilding of the Estes Park skate park, which I've covered the history of and such. Um, I know there was some some donations of the materials that uh, you use for the surface of the uh, ramps. They've already got like a mini half pipe built, and I, I don't know if it's put in yet or not. Um, but there's progress being made on that, and uh, great community support. So that was pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, that's going to be the show for today. It's it's Sunday. It's our Sunday show. The um, the interview I do with my daughter is going to be more of an opinion piece. It'll be an editorial, um, and we'll certainly include opinions. But at this point, you know, what what isn't an opinion when it comes to this um, this subject matter? So before we get to all that, I just want to take the time to thank my sponsors, the Historic Park Theater here in Estes Park and the Real Mountain Theater. Um, if you've been wanting to get to see the new... Uh, Jurassic Park Dominion, go get to it as soon as possible because they're, they're not going to have much time to run that. There's also, and I may talk with uh, Lux about this a little bit, uh, upcoming uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, which if you haven't, if you've never had the experience of uh, seeing a Rocky Horror Picture Show live with the performing cast, it's definitely something you want to do. I took Lux to see hers, um, uh, her first one last year at the Historic Park Theater. Um, you know, it was a tradition of, of mine growing up in, in high school. Uh, of course we did it down in the Aggie. Actually, I was, uh, I was, uh, meatloaf's character, um, at the Aggie one time. And, uh, remember we, we then brought my motorcycle up on stage and yeah, I did a lot of acting in high school, a whole lot of acting. And, um, actually my buddy who is an author, I won't, I won't throw him under the bus and use his real name. 
Um, but he goes by the pen name Alex Gearman, and he just wrote Two Ways Out of Stockton, which is a great book if you haven't checked it out. It's uh, it's available on Amazon, and um, just search for Two Ways Out of Stockton, Alex Ge- Axel Gearman. But uh, we used to act together at the uh, the Renaissance festivals. We did same, scenes from Shakespeare. It was like our senior year. It was me and and one guy was a captain of the soccer team. I was like the the drama nerd. I was getting all the the leads in the play back in the day, and um, and we, we had a whole troop. Um, and uh, so we we went and acted for a summer there, and we'd go and pitch our our stuff, our, our campsites, and uh, like Friday day, and then head back to Denver and go clubbing at. I don't know if you guys remember. If you're old and grew up in the Denver area, you know, the Front Range, you'll remember, like, the coolest, like, goth industrial dance club of the day um, was Club L.A., which uh, it was, like, in a strip mall or something in, I don't know, Lakewood, maybe? I don't even remember. The 90s were uh, too good to me. I've got certain spans of my memory that are just not there. And uh, But Club L.A. was just amazing when it was open it was like this whole like wall of tv screens and you know so yeah we're uh and then we go back and do scenes from shakespeare all all weekend and uh you know to this day you know living up here in Estes, one of my favorite sounds is waking up in the morning when there's some wind blowing and hearing that wind just uh blow through the pine trees and um i really learn to love that sound waking up while um working at the renaissance festivals because you just camp out there and uh so yeah we're gonna we're actually gonna we, we've planned out we're gonna do a return trip there and uh he wanted to just go camp somewhere near there but he's gonna be writing a story an account of our summer um of, you know because it was such an interesting fun time it's gonna be a great story i mean we got in some trouble and um so uh we're going to go back and revisit the uh, the Renaissance Festival. But I, I had suggested, well, if we're going to do this, like you can use it to write your book, but I'm going to write a story about us going to the Renaissance Festival. If we're going to do it, we need to do it right. Like, let's just let's just go there and pretend that we're actually actors and talk our way in. And because uh, that I mean, we used to work there. We, we know what to say and uh, just you know, socially engineer our way into it and just have the experience of, of being there in the uh, employee areas and, and, you know, going and messing around at the Renaissance Festival. Do it Hunter S. Thompson style, though. Maybe with a, a, a little less drugs than, say, his fear and loathing in Las Vegas. But you, you, you're getting the gist anyway. All right. Well, um, let's start off with the Pride event stuff. Let's start off with something positive. And then we will uh, make our way into the Supreme Court ruling and and some of the implications there. I wanted to um, to get my daughter's reaction. You know, I've been covering demonstrations and then you know at times when they they turn into more of a a riot, and that's usually because the police have come and started you know uh, launching tear gas and um, firing rubber bullets. Um, you know, I've always, I try to bring my daughters along with me to things that, that they're interested in and whatnot and just historic events, but only if it's safe. But I had, I had told Lux, you know, she'd been waiting for years that she wants to do some 
you know, for things that she feels strongly about, you know, do some, some activist type stuff. And, uh, so, you know, I, I think at this point her being, uh, you know, a young woman and, and, you know, this is a topic that is, uh, she's very passionate about. So, uh, you know, I think I may actually give her kind of a, uh, you know, mass demonstration 101 class. And then, you know, if it's not too dangerous, bring her down and let her participate in the, um, in the uh, demonstrations and the rallies and such when it comes to this topic. So uh, she's been pushing me for years and I've been holding back, but it may be time to, to let her, you know, let her voice really be heard and not just in, you know, uh, smaller rural environments like she has, but uh, you know, be part of the bigger demonstrations. So we'll see. I don't know yet. I'm still on the fence, but uh, we'll talk with her and uh, yeah. All right. So let's just, Let's just get into some of this uh, Pride event stuff and the uh, the interviews and, and speeches that I had recorded. So we're just going to start off with the the speeches that happened at the Pride event. I, I made it to the first drag show over at Lonigan's. Um, Lonigan's uh, did great with with setting up a space for them and, you know, allowing uh, the space in the back of Lonigan's. We've never been there. Lonigan's is like the the Irish bar in on the downtown strip here in Estes Park, Colorado. And they've got like a, like a dance club type thing. I wish they'd do an eighties night. Like I would so love having a retro eighties night up here to go out to. Um, but they've got this, this great location and it, 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 there was a great show. They scheduled it right during the playoff game. So there was like four people there until the game got out and then it was just packed and um, great show. I've got some pictures of that. I'll post um, uh, and, um, don't have any interviews from that. It was just a drag show. If you haven't been to one, just go check it out for yourself. Um, then did a, uh, went on to the, uh, the event at the slab, which is owned by the, the, uh, uh Jenna, who also owns our sponsor here, um, with the, uh, the, the historic park theater and the real mountain theater. So uh, she was uh, gracious enough to let Jen Bass have all the speakers there. And it started off with uh, a local uh, Methodist priest, which, you know, if you listen to me, I've got some very strong feelings about organized religion, um, specifically with, you know, the, uh, the child rape epidemic that seems to go hand in hand with a lot of it. Uh, but we're not going to talk about that. This She seems like a pretty legit preacher if you're into that sort of thing and um she gave an opening blessing and then uh followed by mayor wendy koenig and then um there was a uh singer songwriter that had some things to say about the scotus decision and then uh lars gave his speech so i'm gonna i'm just gonna include those um i'll post some pictures as well but this way if you didn't make it down you can actually hear what they had to say um i missed mayor wendy's by you know i got caught part of it but I literally went downtown and I talked with her about this afterwards. So as, as many of you know, or maybe you're not a new listener and don't know, I'm, I'm somewhat mobility impaired. I've got to walk with a cane at times. Sometimes I don't have to, but when there's weather moving in, um, I definitely have to, um, just the, the, the byproducts of a adventurous life. But, um, you know, we, we do have quite a bit of handicap parking in Estes park when it's not the busy season, when it's not the, the summer rush. Um, 
And unfortunately, there's not many to go around, especially when we have a huge influx of people in the town. And that oftentimes results in locals who are mobility impaired um, not being able to participate in some of this stuff because, you know, I there's no way I'm going to be able to park in the parking garage and then, you know, walk my way through the the masses all the way down to the slab um, to, to catch this. So I, I drove around for 30, 40 minutes just looking, just going in circles everywhere I could think, you know, and uh, almost didn't make it to the event to cover it because there just was no handicap parking whatsoever. And um, hopefully I, I asked Wendy May, uh, Mayor Wendy if there was anything that might be able to be done about it. And uh, she's going to look into it. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but it sure would be nice. And I, I've I had some other, um, I saw another Facebook post about the same topic from another uh, local that, that has some mobility issues. And uh, so we'll see. I, I, it, it, I hate to think that, you know, the locals can't get, go enjoy. If you've got mobility impairment, you can't go enjoy some of the great festivals and, and music acts and just all the stuff we got going on here. I know it's it's for the tourists and bring the tourists in, but you know us locals like to do it too. And people like me, this is my job. I gotta be able to access downtown to cover things like the mayor's speeches and such. So um, it just makes it very difficult. So uh, let's get into the pride events. When I ran for mayor, I pledged to represent all the people who live, work, and visit here. Two years in. I still answer all my emails properly. Yes, I've goofed up with some of you. If I have, I apologize. Uh, take calls, have office hours, and participate in lots of meetings. For me, no issue is insignificant. No one is a stranger or, or, or an outsider. That's why, in addition to proudly standing with all the people of Estes Park, I request you do the same and ask the same of everyone who visits or lives here. Thank you for inviting me to be with you. I look forward to watching the spirit of the fest grow and spread and hope to join you next year or sooner if you come back. So please do. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for the flag. It's going up in my office. All right, folks, we're here with Wendy mayor wendy koenig and um we are we just had the pride day uh speeches and and tell us a little bit that just kind of a historic moment for us this is the first time we've ever really had an official pride celebration here in Estes park it is and i'm very excited jen came and talked to me yesterday told me all about it i'm hoping next year everybody will help her get this organized it was a big lift for her yeah but she's she's pretty good at, at pulling stuff like that off. Oh, she really but is. I think, I think the community will definitely rally more and more. I think they will, and and she's got things set up beautifully, and it was so nice to welcome everybody here. Right. I'm very proud to be asked to do that. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for just taking a quick moment. Okay. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to kind of start out um, kind of giving some background on me as a person. Um, I'm queer and non-binary, um, as well as a national story for plant, national storyteller for Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Um, and so I just wanted to 
quickly address the fact that um, some very upsetting things have happened as of recent when it comes to the laws of our land. Um, I have met women who had abortions before Roe v. Wade who could not even talk about it, who could not even call it what it was because of the trauma they experienced. Waking up in a pool of their own blood in a motel after drinking a fifth of alcohol, that is the reality that people who can get pregnant were facing. And we have just gone exactly back to that time. Making abortion illegal does not stop abortions. All it does is kill pregnant people. That's all it will do. Abortions are safe. They are safer than most medical procedures. I know this, I worked in the clinic. I helped provide this care to people. Um, and it's really upsetting to exist in this world right now. Um, so I just wanted to address that first off. Um, thank you. And now we'll do the music thing. Lars Sage. Thank you. Right. Welcome to our first inaugural Pride event. And I'm very proud to be part of this experience. No, it's an honor to be a part of this inaugural event. I've been out for a number of years and I've experienced other Pride events, especially like in Atlanta or New York City. But it's nothing like being a part of a small town and a new event to honor us. Who, and to help us to take pride in who we are. And I appreciate that. Thank you, Jen. I grew up basically in the 50s, and it seems like somehow we're heading back that way. But in those days, you could all even talk about sex, let alone about homosexuality. And certainly, when you're trying to grow up and trying to deal with things you're going on, you just don't have any relationship to what is actually going on. But I also came of age in the 60s. In the 60s, we know, is a, a, an era where a lot of movements developed. And we certainly the civil rights movement, the voting rights movement, uh, anti-war, of course. And it was also known as a sexual revolution in response to the 50s. The women's rights and certainly the gay rights all had their, their roots back in the 60s. And when we were finally saying, this is enough with the 50s, let's do some changes and let's get modernized again. Woo. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> yeah. After all, thank you. As I said, I, I kind of came out, I came out like 40 years ago, it seems like a long time, certainly. But right in the midst of the AIDS epidemic that was going on. And so it was kind of scary times. And uncertainty of, well, how do we develop relationships with all this stuff going on? But there also, over the years, I've certainly seen great change in attitudes and, and, and the process of overcoming our fears of becoming who and admit to who we are. And also knowing that at my time when I came out, I was also married. I've been married for about a dozen years. I have a child. And I'll go, what is going to happen if I come out? And of course, it created a lot of changes. And it created a lot of anguish and pain the process of even coming to terms of who you are, but also dealing with the changes that life is going to give you because of that. But I made the choice and I faced my fears and I accepted the consequences, and certainly part of it was a divorce and so forth. 
but I survived and I've thrived and I've gained a sense of wholeness as a result. And also part of the process which helped me was I had a lot of support. Unfortunately, many people do not. But I was blessed with a lot of friends and family that were willing to accept me as I came out. And of course, some of them said, well, when were you going to discover it anyway? But also, I had an opportunity a few years later to meet someone that I fell in love with, that we shared a life for over, 20, over 33 years. Three of those years, we were married. Unfortunately, he passed away two years ago. But I had an opportunity to share a life with someone that I loved, and he happened to be of the same sex. But what difference does it make? Because it, one of the things I think what we've discovered over the years we were together, that no matter where we lived, and we were mostly in, the, in Georgia, North Carolina, we came out here and so forth, that we at least found some acceptance by people as a couple. You know, people may not have understood everything, but they recognized who we were and they accepted us as a couple. And especially before moving out here, we were living in a Marine Air Force base on the coast of North Carolina. Now you talk about kind of a redneck country. Um, and we hung out at a bar there. But despite that fact, we were accepted for who we were. And as, it's, as it should be, why cannot we always be accepted for who we are? And Michael was the reason why I even know about Esther's Park, because he used to live out here, and we came out here back in 89 for about three years, so I fell in love with this place for some reason. And then we had to go back east, and over the years we always had this desire to come back here. And, um, and so we did. And it's, ever since we've been back here, we, again, we were accepted for who we were. You know, people, I've not, we've never hidden that we were gay, or we were a gay couple. We never big, big a big to-do about it, but nonetheless, people understood who we are and they accepted us as well. And give us the support and, and so forth. And, and again, as it should be, why should we be seen as anything different? After all, what harm are we doing to anybody because we love someone the same sex? Or because we decide that there's something going on in our own lives that maybe we don't quite identify with the gender that we're born with, so we want to transform and be comfortable with who we are. What harm are we causing anybody to do that? And what business is of anybody of how we live our lives? However, as we know now, as of yesterday's decision, we have a vocal minority in this country who decide that we are, they're going to have control over how we live and who we are, and they want to put us back in the 50s again and take back our rights. You know, and the fact is, we love like anybody else. Just because we love someone of the same sex, what difference does it make? Loving is what's key. And we ought to come to terms that, that love is love. And that I was able to share love with someone, to share commitment and build a life for 33 years. You know, and, and, and one of the things that I've also learned in the process that we all, yes, we all feel the same about loving someone and so forth, but losing someone also is what unites us as well. When I lost Michael, I started attending a grief group, and I'm the only gay man in this group, and I'm among my peers. And all of us, again, we grew up in the 50s and so forth, grew up with certain attitudes, 
But the amazing thing is that even in my generation, we have changed our attitudes because we've become more accepting and understanding what it means. And maybe, you know, with age comes wisdom, as they might say, but I think it's because we, as we grow older, we've begun to realize what's important and what's not important. And be able to love someone and be loved with someone, that's, that's key too. But also we share something about grief. Losing someone, missing something as part of your life means the same for all of us. And so that, again, is something as it should be, that we can, um, that we can speak and share that kind of, of, of feeling and emotion. In a way, it's too bad we have to have pride. Okay. Too bad we also. Too bad we have to have pride because otherwise, if we had been if lived in a in a, in a culture that is more accepting and understanding of who we are, and say it's okay, love who you want to love, you know, be who you want to be. That's the way it should be. And but yet, I'm grateful that we can at least have this opportunity to share our pride and be who we are. And I want to share a couple of quotes I found just recently on Facebook of all places. Is one of the things someone's saying is that the nasty reactions we get from people because we have a Pride Month is all the wall reason why we should have pride. Yeah. Woo. And this other quote I found from uh, Sylvia Rivera, she said was saying, "We have to be visible. We should not be ashamed of who we are. We have to show the world that we are numerous." There are many of us out there. So it's up to us to take pride in who we are, to help create an environment for those of us who are still struggling to come to terms with who they are, so that we can all be free to be and to love and to become. And so I am, can say in conclusion that I am proud, I am out, and thank you for support and love. Right, and now we move on to the punk rock section of the show. I wanted to include the little snippet of this, one of my favorite songs from back in the day by Ministry. So what? Covered by Ego Death at the Chippers Bowling Alley here in Essence Park just last night. We're here with Ego Death. This is, as far as I know, the first punk rock show ever to, to play here in Essence Park, uh, coinciding with the first ever Pride event. So we're here talking with Ego Death. Just go ahead and introduce yourselves. I am Jasmine. I'm the drummer. I'm Dallin Thumper. I do bass and vocals. I'm Kane. I play guitar. I'm Lucas. I do bass and vocals as well. All right. And so why did you all decide to come up and do this gig? I mean, other than just it's a gig. Um, you know, was there, was there something more to it? Absolutely. I was very, um, I would say honored to be invited to play a Pride gig, considering the main reason I started music was to be a visibly queer man doing hardcore and to talk about the hardships of that. So it's pretty cool to actually be visible for everybody. Anybody else? Um, All right. Yeah. So, oh, 
sorry. Yeah, um, you know, supporting the LGBTQ community is a really big um, sort of aspect for me, especially since I am part of the community. Um, and, you know, doing this gig definitely has a lot of significance, um, you know, benefiting this community, which is going through a lot right now, especially with trans issues. So, um, where's the next gig that people can catch at? That would be July 20th at Seven Circle in Denver, and that's going to be with some touring bands, Dirt Sucker and Psychic Death. Okay. Um, is there is there a place people can get more information on the band? Facebook, website, anything? We have an Instagram at Ego, Ego Death Din, as well as our music on Bandcamp, Spotify. Yeah. All right. Well, it was a great show. It brought me right back to the day. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Right. That was Ego Death being interviewed after the show and a little snippet of their cover of So What by Ministry after they got out of their British accent phase. All right. So that concludes our section of the podcast episode for the Pride events that happened here for the very first time in Estes Park, Colorado. Um, next, we're going to go ahead and get into the uh, SCOTUS decision and what that means. And we're going to talk about the, um, the murder of one of our community pillars. Just a quick overview of, of what's happening and what's happened so recently, we've had another one of our first responder heroes taken from us. This time it happened in Aurora, and um, a male driver later identified as John Jaros died in the presence of his wife and three children um, when shots were fired into their truck from street racers. This happened on I-70 between Tower Road and 470, um, which... You, you'll probably recognize that's the section of I-70 you're on to get to Denver International Airport. And um, there was a street racing event that happened. That's when um, Jaros, who, who was 37 years old, who was coming back from a family camping trip with his three young children and his wife in the car. They... Uh, it came to I-70 between Tower Roads and 470, where um, usually what happens in these street racing events is they'll have a couple different cars block traffic by parking, um, you know, lengthwise across the, uh, the road. And um, several rounds were fired at, at the vehicle. Um, and, and uh, when they tried to get around this blockade of I-70. So, <clears throat> yeah, Jaros was uh, the assistant chief of the Glenhaven Area Fire Department. And, um, you know, Glenhaven was just instrumental in the fires last summer. Um, he and his family were returning again from a camping trip when he was shot and killed in front of his family. Um, his wife, was, who was sitting next to him, was able to um, get the car over, put it in neutral, and, and brought the car over to the side of the road. And um, those children, the trauma that the whole family, the whole community, the trauma that has been inflicted. Um, 
So on the 23rd Thursday, police arrested Jeremy Jacob Roca, age 20, in Commerce City um, early in the morning. Roca faces charges of first-degree murder and four counts of attempted first-degree murder. Investigators identified multiple witnesses and involved vehicles, collected evidence, and conduct several interviews before making the arrest. Um, police read at a, a press conference later that day, police read from a statement from Yarrow's wife, and um, it went on to read, I would like to also... I would also like to ask for prayers for the young man who took my husband's life, that he would one day have the opportunity to experience God's love, mercy, and forgiveness. It's It's been a bad year for first responders here in the Estes Valley, and uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to the family. Um, I've got some calls in. I'm, I'm, I, I wound up sitting next to one of the um, Aurora County Commissioners uh, during one of my my trips this summer. So I'm reaching out to him to just get a better idea of this whole street racing community and obviously is is having some real issues when it's affecting our community here, being over an hour and a half away. Um, and uh, I'm also, I've got some contacts at that, have some connections or not directly connected to the uh, particular street racing groups in out of Aurora. But, you know, I've, I've, I know some people that do some racing in the Denver area. And um, I just want to get a better understanding of the culture and, and how something like this could happen. So um, I'm working on that. We'll see where that goes. So back in, 1973, by a 7-2 vote, the Supreme Court in the Roe versus Wade case established a constitutional right to abortion, striking down laws in many states that had banned the procedure. The court said the states could not ban abortions before fetal viability, the point at which the fetus can survive outside the womb. That was about 28 weeks at the time because of improvements in medical technology. It's, it's now around 23 weeks these days. The decision back in the day was, was widely criticized, including by people who supported access to abortion as um, policy. Um, famous now deceased uh, Supreme Court Justice, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was a strong supporter of abortion rights, uh, died in 2022, but she expressed qualms over uh, Roe throughout the years. And uh, she thought that the court had bit off more than it could chew. She said this was back in 2009, for instance, um, in remarks after a speech at Princeton. Um, it would have been enough, she said, to strike down the extremely restrictive Texas law at issue in Roe and leave further questions. But the uh, Roe shut down the the, uh, the the all the legislation that was happening at the day, and um, you know created a lot of back backlash, and that that backlash has been working for a long time now to reverse that decision. 
And we're seeing that if we, we, how quickly the world can change from what we thought was, you know, a done deal. You know, for 50 years, we've had access to these services and now that's gone. And there are fears that, you know, with, with the statements in the opinion that um, Clarence Thomas made, there, there are fears that it's going to go after contraception and maybe try to reverse the progress we've made with LGBTQ plus rights, the right to marry and healthcare and such. Um, it's just a slippery slope. I got onto it a little bit on Facebook. I generally, as a as a as a rule, I do not engage in comments for the most part. I'll do it a little bit at the beginning, like when I post up a story for the first time or whatnot. Um, but uh, you know, generally, I try not to engage in any sort of trolling or you know controversial subjects in comments because it just does no good. You know, if if you got really something to say about it, you can write a write a rebuttal or you know put out your own thing um but it just doesn't seem to do any good i mean no one wins in internet based fights so i just try my best um not that this was a fight it was a discussion but um i wanted to uh you know talk about the history of this a little bit because so many people are you know this is not listed in the constitution and you know, so it shouldn't be a constitutionally protected right. But I think we need to go back and look at the history of abortion a little bit. And so we're going to do that just briefly. And then we're going to talk with my daughter real quick about her thoughts on this. She's a 16-year-old teenager. And, uh, you know, this is going to affect them, my teenage girls, my my daughters, my granddaughter, who, you know, my, my oldest daughter is 27, but I have a... Uh, Oh, 28 now. That's right. She had a birthday um, this past week. Um, and, and my granddaughter. This, these these really won't affect me much. I'm just a man. And it's not going to affect most men. But it's going to have a significant effect on the future of my the most important people in my life, my daughters. It's going to significantly affect um, how they are able to live their life. And um, so I think it's important to get their opinions and points of view. So this is this is an editorial opinion. But first off, let's let's go into a little bit of the history of things, and we'll start there. And I think kind of the biggest danger of all of this is is what a very slippery slope we're now on. You know, and, and this slope could undercut the human rights and quality of life of those not only closest to me but a lot of people. Um, and, and I think we need to look at, um, how, uh, the assertions made by Justice Alito were undercut by a concurrence by Justice Thomas, who explicitly called for the court to reconsider its ruling, striking down state restrictions on contraceptives, state sodomy bans, and straight prohibitions on same-sex marriage. Because he says any, and this is quoting from his his um, opinion piece, because any substance substantive due process decision is demonstrably erroneous, Thomas wrote, we have a duty to correct the error established in those precedents. I believe when any of us lose rights in this country, it opens the doors where in time, all of us are going to lose rights. 
because, you know, our political system's a big pendulum that swings from, you know, extreme right to extreme left to extreme right and is ever becoming more extreme. And that, unfortunately, if we start messing with 50 years of, of progress that we've made, um, that has an effect on, you know, it, it's going to have an effect on all the rights we cherish and hold dear. So, uh, yeah. So, so let's look back a little bit here. And I'd like to talk a little bit how it, it the abortion issue was never in the Constitution because before 1840, abortion was widespread and largely, you know, taboo, stigma-free for American women. It was so commonplace that newspapers advertised abortion services to cure what they called obstructed menses with herbal remedies. Um. And, you know, this is all based on as, it, you know, a lot of our, our law at the time was customarily uh, reflect, it reflected British common law. And when it came to abortion, the legal system used the quickening doctrine um, to decide on the legality of abortion. Now, quickening is kind of a, an old term for the same thing as viability. Quickening is generally defined as the moment when the fetus's movement can be detected, usually around 22 to 24 weeks of pregnancy, which lines up with our pretty, pretty damn close with our viability of the fetus. Um, and, uh, you know, back in the day, in the late 1700s, um, we didn't have the tools of modern medicine. And that was really kind of the only way to confirm pregnancy. Um, and, and fetuses were largely only considered potential lives. And the belief of life beginning at conception really wasn't a concept. And if you go back and look at the church's views, say the, the, the Roman Catholic Church, they, they didn't have any problem with it back in the day. Um, so before the quickening, fetuses were only considered potential lives. The key point here is really that that no one can really tell the woman when the quickening has happened because only her, she herself could know because she's the one who feels it. And um, the original, the first anti-abortion advocates in the United States were largely male physicians who were lo looking to make abortion illegal and push out competition from midwives and female healers who were much, much more prominent back in the day. In fact, you know, they're, they're always saying, well, they're always, the, the oppositionists is always talking about how the founding fathers would, would be rolling over in their graves with something like this. And that, that can be demonstratively disproven pretty quickly. Because if you look at some of the work that Benjamin Franklin was doing um, with his publishing, he was always publishing different books. And, um, in the one of the books titled The Instructor that was put out under the um, pseudonym or pen name of George Fisher uh, included recipes for pennyroyal tea, which was used specifically to induce abortion. Um, this textbook was kind of a catch-all manual that included 
plenty of useful information for the average person. It was, you know, basic math, arithmetic, skill sets that, you know, young gentlemen use. It was actually based on another book that a series that had been published out of uh, England in the day. And he was doing his whole thing, uh, kind of doing his own version of it. So, um, yeah, I, I think that really kind of puts it in a perspective where the founding fathers were at least one of them, but Benjamin Franklin played a very influential and largely important role in setting forth our, the foundations, the intellectual foundations of our country. And here's what I want to say as fucked up as the world may seem right now and, and just, you know, upside down and crazy. I still think we have one of the, the best countries out there, um, specifically because we are going through the growing pains. You know, this is not easy. We were one of the first countries to to uh, take on the issues of slavery and women's rights and such. And I think, you know, part of this is the growing pains, this, you know, t- one step forward, two steps back. That's part of the process. So we need to keep that in mind. But that that also means that we've got to be very vigilant. We have to pay attention to what's going on. We can't become apathetic. Um, We largely got into this position because we thought it was a done deal and kind of stopped being as engaged. I mean, voter turnout, especially in in youth, is is not all that great. And that's going to be the answer. The answer to getting that one step forward again is going to be voter engagement, specifically in these young demographics that are just coming of age to vote. This, If this is an important issue for you, if, if LGBTQ plus rights are important for you, and just really any of these rights that we've come to just think of as that's the way things are and has been for 50 years, what, what the last few years has shown us that we, we've become complacent and there are forces out there that are taking full advantage of that complacency and working to um, roll back some of the progress that we have made. So with that, let's jump into, I did a quick interview with my daughter Lux, and uh, I want to just give her a moment to give her views on this because, you know, she is kind of a young activist. Um, She's done some speeches at different events um, here locally. And uh, she's interested in plugging into kind of some larger activist gatherings so that her voice can be heard. Um, you know, she's she is my daughter. She uh, she's got a voice and she wants she wants to be heard. So I'm going to just give her a quick moment to do that. All right. We're here with my daughter, Lux, who has already become an activist uh, when it comes to this topic. She gave the speech at the uh, the women's. Um, the women's rally uh, when they kind of dedicated the, the first speeches given at the the women's suffrage monument here in Estes Park, Colorado. Say hi, Lux. Hello. So, uh, tell us what your thoughts are. You've kind of been worked up and and uh, you know very uh, moved by this decision. Tell us what you think about it. I think. The fact that Roe versus Wade got overturned is a really stupid idea and that men shouldn't be taking control of 
women's bodies. Like, if you rape a woman, you go to jail for less time than if you get an abortion or, like, help a woman get an abortion. And I think it's also really stupid how the government will tear gas people, like, at the BLM protests and stuff like that. And it can result into um, abortions. Well, like yeah, you're talking the about the loss of a baby. Yeah, so there's been a there, there is uh, evidence that they're finding that uh, women who are pregnant who partake in um, these rallies or demonstrations where uh, tear gas is used that there is a higher incident of uh, spontaneous abortions happening. Um, so yeah, it's something to consider. You're right. So what do you think people should do about it? I mean, this is going to affect your your direct future. This is the world you're going to be inheriting. No, we can't call it the right. We can't do that. <laughs> but how do you think young people should engage with this? And, and All try we can to... do is voice our opinions. Like, there's not much that we can do as like citizens and not actually part of the government. But what yeah. we can do is at least make sure that our voices get heard. Well, I think I think you, there are things you can do, and it involves plugging in, paying attention, um, registering the vote when you're able to, and um, you know, actually getting out there and voting. Like if we could get the young people to just vote in mass, um, we we might be able to see some very dramatic changes that are going to positively affect the world. You guys will inherit, you gals, in my case. All right. Thank you for taking the time. All right, folks, that is pretty much the episode for today. Um, some things that are coming up on this next week. Uh, tomorrow, actually, this is a very important date. Tomorrow, down Larimer County Courthouse, located at 200 West Oak Street, Fort Collins, um, from 3 to 4 p.m. And it's going to be in courtroom 4C is the latest Jacobo Mendoza disposition hearing. Now, I have been reached out to by the family of one of the victims, the main victim in this case. And um, the DA and judge are have offered a plea deal to Jacobo, which will, I believe it's around 38 years, but they are... Um, it's going to get rid of a lot of the charges, and I, I think that has the, the very real potential to get rid of the child pornography charges and um, the video evidence, and will kind of um, seal off us finding out if there were victims, you know, how many victims there were, if there were indeed victims from the escape room that he owned here in SS Park, Colorado. Um, you know, a lot of times these records are going to get sealed, and we won't know if there's, you know, hundreds possibly of victims if there were cameras up in that uh the changing rooms and restrooms at the escape room um so the family has asked that uh we we go show if you're if you're feeling like you don't want a plea deal that you want all the evidence out there and on the public record um they've asked that people come and and just have a show of force or may even be a, a way for us to kind of talk to the DA and the judge communicate that we as a community are not okay with this. So if that, if you find yourself within that demographic of people that would like to see this go to actual trial 
and not just be largely swept under the rug with a plea deal, then uh, get down there. I'm going to be going down. Uh, I'll be covering it. Depending on how things go, I may then ha- be able to speak with uh, the family at that point. Um, otherwise, uh, we'll, we'll know more information about how the trial is going to go forward. Um, because we really want to make sure that we don't jeopardize anything in bringing justice in this case. So if you've been following the Covo case here in the Estes Valley, uh, please get down to the Lamar County Courthouse Monday, Monday, June 27th, tomorrow. Again, it's going to be uh, starting, I believe, at 3 p.m. Um, and it, you, you can always just call the courthouse. Um, and uh, it'll be in courtroom 4C, as in Charlie. I'm also going to be working on a, uh, had a bad experience with um, a prepaid card. This is one of the cards that like, you see at Safeway here in town. You see them at Walmart everywhere. It's a prepaid card. And most of these cards are, are put together by a company called uh, Netspend. And um, they have some policies that could result in some very, very um, hard times for people living in poverty. I know that if I hadn't been doing just a little bit worse, it would have had a major effect on us. But um, a very common thing triggered a security alert. And because I don't have an actual physical mailing address um, and only a, a public mailbox at the UPS store, which many, many people here in town have because the Postal Service is just so awful for so long that uh, I wasn't able to get them the documentation they needed and they had to shut the account down which took over 20 days to get the uh, the social security payments and stuff that uh, you know I rely on to keep a roof over my daughter's heads and such luckily enough things are turning around for me financially a little bit with the the books and the you know everything that I got going on and that this podcast here you know your memberships really have helped to improve the quality of my life and to the point that when this thing happened we weren't out on the streets we weren't homeless suddenly but there's a lot of people that rely on these prepaid cards but that's not necessarily the case and um i know i was there just you know then just a few months ago so i think it's something that we need to, to talk about and and people need to know about that these policies can can really, really put people in jeopardy if they're living, you know, uh, around the poverty line. And that's something that uh, we need to know. All right. Well, that's it for the podcast today. And uh, I'll be putting one out in a, a few more days, early in the week, next week, probably then um, early Tuesday morning with the updates on the COVO case. So thanks once again for joining me here on the Colorado Switchblade. And I'll talk with you all again soon. Stay classy, Colorado.